Hello, and welcome to the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast, the show that will help your entire family bring back bedtime. Each episode, sleep expert Alana McGinn discusses your burning sleep questions and provides you with tangible sleep tips and tricks to help you create your own sleep plan for your family. Whether it's how to extend your baby's naps, end bedtime battles with your toddler, or help you sleep better at night, this podcast talks all things sleep to help you and your family get the sleep you deserve. With colleagues, friends, and other wellness experts, Alana discusses all lifestyle topics that you want more information on. Are you ready to bring back bedtime? Here's your host, sleep educator, mom of three, and pop culture fanatic, Alana McGinn. Hi, I'm Alana McGinn, founder of GoodnightSleepSite.com, a website offering sleep support and resources for you and your family. Our global team of certified sleep consultants can work one-on-one with you to help your family members sleep better. From babies to teens and adults as well, we can help you put the right sleep plan together to help your child or yourself sleep better. Remember the sleep plan is only part of the process. The ongoing support you will receive from your good night consultant is what will help you stay consistent, accountable, and sleep educated to make sure you are successful in your overall family sleep goals. Our goal is to help you become your own family's sleep expert. And we take pride in our education and above and beyond support we offer to all families who sign up with us. You can head over to goodnightsleepsite.com to find out how you can work with a good night sleep site consultant who can help you with each step along the way to creating your family sleep plan. so excited for today's guest is I've been following him for a while on social media and every single post I see of his makes me nod my head and then bookmark it in my head for later because as a mom who has a daughter entering the world of social media, this interview was timely and I know the topics we're going to discuss today will be eye-opening and informational for you as well. If you aren't following Paul Davis on social media, you should be, especially if you have a tween or teen beginning to use social media. Paul has worked for over 27 years in information technology. He has sold security software to the federal government of Canada and implemented remote system access solutions for the Fortune 100. Many of you may know him from his popular school presentations, having spoken in front of 560,000 students over 80,000 parents. He is hired by top corporate organizations to speak, including Ottawa's Department of National Defense, Ontario Provincial Police, and top school boards. You may also see him as a social networking media expert on breakfast television, global news, and CBC radio. You guys, I'm going to admit I'm a bit of a fangirl, and I am so thrilled that he is joining us today. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me. So, listen, I don't even know where to start. I was, um, I'm so happy, as I've said to you many times, to have you on because I think this information, it's a great tie in to our new tween and teen program that we have launched at Good Night Sleep Site. But selfishly, um, I cannot wait to pick your brain because I have a daughter who have I told you about who is entering the world of social media. Um, many of her friends have already taken that jump. And I know that I'm going to be walking. 
uh, away with some amazing information because I just, I want to start her off on the right path. She's going to be 12 in a month um, and she's just at that age. So as always, we have to tie in sleep into each episode, um, but we won't only be talking about sleep and tech, but I think it's a good jumping off point. And one thing that I have noticed in my profession and in my personal life is how many kids have tech in the bedrooms. And it, it honestly blows my mind. And I already know your position on this, but I want you to share your thoughts. But first I want to share a new study in the Journal of Child Development that showed that over 50% of teens reported that they feel addicted to their cell phones and use at nighttime. And use at nighttime can increase anxiety and depression in teenagers and reduce self-esteem. And this is actually the first study that shows a direct link between screen time and mental health. And I know you're not a mental health expert, so we're not going to get too much into that. I think that topic is just going to naturally flow into the conversation because how could it not? But it shows a direct correlation between teens using screens late at night, which leads to fragmented sleep, which leads to increased depression and anxiety. So before we get into the golden rule, as you call it, of online safety with no tech in the bedroom, let's first start off with how, in your opinion and in your experience, how do you think that tech in the bedroom can affect our teen's sleep? Wow, where do we start? I know. So, okay, so number one, the golden rule has always been no tech in the bedroom for a bunch of reasons. One of the reasons I always point out is that when you have curiosity in isolation and global connectivity, that's not a good mix at a young age. I'm not against technology with children, honestly. I'm all for it when it's an area where parents can supervise or they're surrounded by other individuals. So not to be overly curious and potentially get into bad situations. If there's an adult, if they're supervising, they're guiding them, that's fantastic. Now, when we go into the bedroom, we all know, and anybody will tell you, they're not turning off a device. They may be powering it, not powering off physically, they'll put it on sleep mode, but that makes the device still active. It has a constant internet connection. It could have a constant data connection. It could allow for the phone call. So these kids, because not every parent will subscribe to no tech in the bedroom, these kids will be getting notifications at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. The blue light is blinking. The vibration is going off because maybe they didn't put it to full off. They put it to vibration and now the vibration is waking them up. These are distractions. And although I'm not a sleep expert, I know because I've asked many, many in the field, your kid needs a solid eight hours of sleep every night. I tell parents all the time, why don't you just give them that fair shot at life, which is get to bed at a decent hour, 30 to 60 minutes before going to bed, no devices, it's wind down time, read a book, do something else, but no tech. Give them that solid seven and a half, eight hour sleep. So number one, they function better in school the next day because every principal I talk to tells you that's a fact. They're not tired. They're not groggy. They're not coming to school with drama that occurred overnight because of the notification at one o'clock in the morning that someone said something inappropriate or someone is name calling or someone sent a picture. Give them the ability to have a great night's sleep, but more importantly, drama free and to be a kid. I really wish parents would get that. And we always say that common sense is not so common anymore. That is so accurate when it comes to technology in the bedroom. Parents just feel it's okay. And the reality is 
it's not. I talk to cyber guys who are in my field. If they have kids, that's not, it's not even a conversation because we think it's comical that it happens. Most police officers, no way, no how. So what is it that we see that everybody else doesn't see? We see a lot because we know that technology is it's constant. There's always a connection. And these kids are always wanting to respond. You know, FOMO, the fear of missing out, which isn't a medical term, but we all know that it, that it exists. They need to disconnect. And talk to any expert in the field, it's therapeutic and it's required. So that's my position. It's always been my position, always will be my position. I subscribe to it and I believe in it. And I, and I love what you say. And I know this, you said this last time when we talked, when you say, you know, give them that, um, you know, that fairness in life um, that, you know, we're doing our kids. So I can't remember how you put it, but I remember it kind of hit me because I was like, yeah, like I, I never thought of it that way is, is, is by allowing that tech in the bedrooms for their kids, it's we're not being fair to our kids. Right. We're, so we had a wonderful opportunity when we were kids to go to bed because we came in from playing outside. We were exhausted. We did our quick chores. We went to bed. We had a great night's sleep. We went to school. We had all this energy. And it was just a different time. And what we're doing in terms of when I say give them a fair shot, it would give them a fair shot at being a kid, mm-hmm. which is go to bed, have a wonderful night's sleep so they can function better the, uh, the next day at school. When you look at all the studies that relate um, poor sleeping habits as a result of technology in the bedroom and anxiety because they're always, you know, fear of missing out, doing something, and did I catch up on that? Have, have I responded to that individual? That's not helping them very much when they're in school the next day. So if you want to look at all the links, you look at poor sleep, you look at the child coming to school that's overly tired, you look at them stressed out because of what happened on the device overnight. And these aren't my level of expertise. It's what all the experts have told me. Mm -hmm. There is a link. And that is not fair to our children. You want to get them involved in drama? Let that be later on in life. But let them be a kid for a long time. And that is a parent's responsibility. You know, some people say, Paul, you're so hard sometimes on parents. Well, who else exactly did you want to point the finger to? When a 10-year-old is taking a phone into a bedroom, they're suffering from anxiety and sleep deprivation. Whose fault is that? The 10-year-old? No, that's the parent's fault. Absolutely. And we have to stop going down the path of political correctness and call it the way it is. That's the parents not doing their job. We have a job, a responsibility as parents. Having a child takes a ton of responsibility. And I, you know, I'm a cyber guy who became a dad. I learned about being a dad. I, I didn't go to school, but I learned and there's this thing called common sense, which is I have responsibility to implement certain rules in the household for my child. We had rules growing up. These are the rules for them. Get the tech out of the bedroom. And, and you're in it. Like your kids are in that age range as well, where this is in their life also. So you're not only an expert on that, but you're living it with your kids as well. I bet you I would be in the minority if I told you that I still will tell my 18-year-old daughter, you're not bringing your phone to your bedroom. Mm-hmm. And she's an adult, right? But right. guess what? I'm a dad. We have rules. She respects them. And she has a great night's sleep. So I allow her to function better in school the next day. She knows the value of not getting involved in any conversation over the period of an evening. And I've glanced at phones overnight. And I'm thinking, wow, what are your friends exactly talking about at 2 o'clock in the morning? Because I know you were having a good night's sleep. What could possibly be keeping them up at 2 o'clock in the morning? And at the end of the day, nothing nothing of significant importance. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's, and like you, I've talked to obviously many different experts in, in the same kind of industries and, um, many of them have said, and I've, I, to be honest, I've seen it with my own daughter. Um, 
they don't, the group chats, it's the group chats where you said like the conversations are nothing. Like the, it's not like they're spouting out any kind of information that they actually need to, uh, you know, to exist. Um, but you know, they, it, it, it adds that frustration. Like my, I've seen my daughter kind of push her phone away or, uh, you know, her iPod away. Um, cause she just doesn't want to be involved in it. And she's like, Oh, I just don't want to respond. Like they don't like the group chats. So many don't. So I find when we're giving them these rules and these, these boundaries, it's we're allowing them to opt out instead of them telling their friends. So they're kind of using, like use us as the excuse. That's okay. You know what I mean? So, and I, and I know that, um, I've seen her do it and I've seen a lot of her friends do it too. And I've seen the conversations come up between them where it's like, they're involved in the group chats, but none of them really like it. And I don't mind being used as the, as the excuse. Either because do if I. They're, yeah. they're uncomfortable, get out. You know, don't respond. And my daughters have told their friends, listen, I do not always respond immediately to a message. It's a golden rule. If I'm by the phone, I will respond. So when you're, when your children are structured in that capacity where like, you, you know, guys, it's not really that important. And they believe it. And they will eventually when you keep harping on them. Their friends eventually figure out, oh, um, she doesn't respond right away. So they don't take offense to it. Mm-hmm. How come you didn't respond to me? It takes a bit of conditioning, but eventually the real group of friends, the close group will always know this individual doesn't respond right away. And I'm not going to be offended if they don't respond for three, four hours because they're by, away from their device. Yeah. They're some with their family. Oh, wait a minute. It's six o'clock. That means it's dinner time in their household and they definitely don't have phones at the dinner table. So they won't be responding. It's a conditioning thing. Yeah. And, you know, if a real group of friends get together and they're all like that, it actually makes the group conversations much better because they don't feel that obligation to always have to respond. And you know what? I like that you say that because I, I have found that I have had the conversation with her because um, how it used to be is, you know, her her text would come into my phone. So I would be able to kind of see I wouldn't I would respect her privacy to a certain extent. Um, but I, I would see when messages are coming in and I would see how she was responding or how, when she would respond. And there were times where she wasn't responding at all just because that's just who she is. She's not glued which I love and I don't push for. But I did have those conversations with her where I was like, you know, as much as you don't want to be hooked on it and respond instantly, there is uh, what's the word I want to use? I guess like an etiquette in a way that I also felt like I had to teach her that, you know, eventually you do have to respond because what, again, as a, as a woman myself and being a girl at one point in time, um, you know, you, you don't want to then be the person that isn't part of the group chats because they don't think that you're going to respond at all. You know, like there's like, you almost have to have that balance of don't respond right away. That's okay. And I love that she's like that. But then I'm like, I also feel like I need to teach her. There is that etiquette. Does that make sense? Well, I support your, your etiquette position when it's something important. Exactly. If If a friend reaches out and says, Hey, I really need to talk to you about the situation I'm going through. It's important. I may understand that if it's gossip, if it's nothing important, there's no etiquette. It's like, let it go. This is mindless activity. You guys are bored. Um, you're always on your device. Uh, You know, so the one thing I told my daughters is I look, I respond to every email that comes into me and every email is important to me. But the people that email me and the people that do business with me know that there may be times that I don't respond right away. And I say to them, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm either, my phone is off. So when I'm doing my presentations at schools, I'm generally speaking to students for two hours. When I come back in the evening, I'm speaking to parents for an hour and a half, plus Q&A, then an extra, two, an extra half an hour. On average, my phone is off, silent and away 
four and a half hours a day. Mm-hmm. People know that I can't get to that device. At 10, 10.30 at night, unless I'm doing work late at night in front of my computer because I am a night owl, I may respond. But otherwise, you're not going to get a response from me until maybe the next day. I've had parents email me, Paul, it's important. It's a situation concerning much. I literally pick up the phone and call them. So when I show my daughters that context saying, this is important, this can wait, they, they get that. They understand that. So Everything is not critically important that they have to respond. And so I'm trying to, not only not my daughters, but every student I speak to, understand what's important and realize you do not have to respond to everything at every second that there's a notification. Right. Learn to disconnect. It's therapeutic. Okay. I like that. I like you put it in a much better way than I did. So that's <laughs> that'll be a good way to explain it All to her. Right. Because, you know, again, in having that conversation, I never want her to feel like I'm saying you have to respond because I'm the same as you. I, I I don't respond to everything right away. And I already love that she's already doing that. But then there is that side where I'm like, but eventually you should respond at some point <laughs> just to say hello, right? So right, right. that's a good way. A good Again, you know, she's at that age where she, this is all a learning thing. You know, that com- it's just a communication learning how to properly communicate with this device. So, um, okay. So let's talk, I have, I do have some questions, but let's first talk about how you said how it's important. And I like how you put it where you're kind of, you're being that role model to your kids and you're showing them that you don't respond to everything. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to many people and something that we teach to, to our families as well is even as much as picking up your phone, you know, I'll admit, I'm not perfect by any means, and my kids will see me on my phone or computer probably far more than they should. Um, That's also what happens, I think, when you work from home is it's hard to have those boundaries. But I am really trying to, when I do pick up my phone and sending a text, I'll try and say it out loud as to what I'm doing so that it's not, they're not just seeing me mindlessly doing things. So it's like, you know, I'm just sending a text to dad to pick up something from the store, or I'm just texting my client because they, you know what I mean? So do you have any tips on what parents can do to kind of, model the right behavior, I guess, in front of their kids? Well, it's, you just said it's modeling that behavior. So for example, golden rule in our families, and there's no devices at a table that serves food. So if we're going to sit together and we're going to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner, we're not having any devices. The most important people in our lives are right in front of us. And we will get to a phone call and we will get to an email after we're done. You know, I don't say this is a game, but when we're at a restaurant, we will just glance around and we will look at the families that are completely disengaged and they're on their devices. And I find that pathetic. Mm-hmm. And you can't give me any excuse to tell me that there are reasons that families are always at restaurants in the high percentile with a device in front of them. We're not that important. And the people in front of you are. And they need that respect and they need that human interaction and they need to know that they are the ones. I love that you just said that. I just want to highlight that for a second. We're not that important and the people in front of you are. That's perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. This is very unfair to do, but when I'm out with a principal, for example, having lunch or a business partner, I, my phone's away and I'm not saying I judge, but I will see if they go to their device and how often they do it because it, it tells me where I stand in the pecking order of, you know, listen, if you're a principal, you have to respond to school. I get that. But most principals I've actually dined with They've never touched a device. Maybe they know the way I am, but they've never touched it. And we will respect each other for the half hour, 45 minutes we're in front of each other. And then we'll go back to, okay, we got to catch up. We'll see you back at school. And we'll do all that stuff. But in front of each other, we're respecting each other. And so if we're modeling that, I want our kids to see it and say, you know what? There's no tech at a table and let's put it away. Or 
there's a game that came up years ago. I think it was a group of moms that went out and they put all their phones in the middle of a table and the first one to touch their phone had to pay for the bill. Mm -hmm. So even if you want to play a game that way, because honestly to expect everyone to walk in and not have a device in some circles of friends, they think it's impossible. I don't believe it to be impossible. I mean, look, I have a great friend who I've known forever in the tech field and he'll have his device out there and I'll keep looking at him saying, you expect an important call? It's a habit for him. He'll never ever see me with my device, but for him it's a habit and he just can't break it and he knows how vocal I am on this topic, but he still has it out there and I keep saying, buddy, you're not that important. And so let's, he doesn't touch it. It's just there out of habit almost right? for, for whatever reason. Cause when he's with his other circle of individuals, he may be using it, but in front of us, it's there. It's not really used, but I'll point it out. I'll point it out to everybody that's in front of me. I, I like, I, I, I'm a big believer in respect. And yeah, I like that. So I'm, I model that behavior. Do I have to justify to my kids when I'm on the device? The one you know conversation we do have sometimes is when they see me in front of the computer and they'll give me that look. Mm-hmm. I'll look at the back saying, oh, by the way, you know, I'm working. I'm not Instagramming, I'm not liking, and I'm not sending emojis. I'm actually working. And then they'll give me that look back saying, yeah, we know that. So sometimes I'll give them that look because they do see me on the computer when I'm, because my office like yours is at home and they'll see it, but I'm actually working like you are. Right. So they'll know not to really question it, but sometimes we do get into conversations as to what is happening and why I'm on it for a prolonged period of time, but not really justifying saying, hey, I'm texting mom or whatever, because it, what I do on my device primarily is business related. Right. Right. Okay, good. Now let's talk about age. So we know that obviously with social media and things like that, you know, I think the legal age is 13 to get on most accounts. Um, But even just having, say, a smartphone, um, in your opinion, what is the recommended age for a child or what, what age, I guess, do you recommend for a child to take that step? Well, this is the grand debate, right? So there's no legality. So social media, terms of service, state, you must be 13 years of age and older, not will be, should be, ask mommy and daddy or grandma, it's you must be 13 years of age. Mm -hmm. So terms of service with that, with phones, there's no terms of service. It's what mom and dad want to put in your hand at whatever age they want to put in your hand. My suggestion has always been, give me a valid reason that a child in grade five needs an iPhone X and there is none. So there are all these potential reasons. And the number one reason given to me over the past six years of asking questions of children is in case of an emergency. This has been instilled into children's heads by their parents. You need this in case of an emergency. When I ask a child, can you please define to me what is an emergency? The answers have ranged from the You'd think, did that really come out of a child's mouth to something logical? And I'll give you what is logical, but this is a fraction of a percent, a medically related situation. And I will never, ever challenge that. But if a child talks about when they're walking home to be safe and I'll say, well, how long is your walk home? And they'll even tell me six, seven minutes. I'm shaking my head. And the reason is because this is the fear that parents have instilled in their children. Right. Look, I'm not against a child having a device if you need to in case of that emergency. I've got this novel idea, and I've been saying it for seven years. Buy your child a flip phone. It's available online. You can probably go to Amazon. They're about $50, $60. They come dual SIM, unlocked. They can make phone calls. It dials 911. It texts. It's painstaking, but it will still text. And they have that device to call mom and dad to send a simple text, hey, I'm home, or can you come and pick me up? But it's not going to distract them. You see, the problem with a smartphone 
is the distraction aspect of it. It distracts them while they're walking to and from school. It, it doesn't allow them on the bus ride home to engage with their friends because they're using their data plan to do something else versus having that time on the bus to talk to their friends about how their day was and what they're doing that night and everything else because they're on their device. The accessibility to information that's unfiltered or unrestricted. So some parents have called smartphones pocket porn because of the accessibility to pornography. Well, of course it is. There are no filters, and most parents don't understand how to put filters and restrictions on those phones. And so it's these reasons that I say, why does that child that young need a smartphone? And the answer is they don't. When is the, uh, I'm not going to say the appropriate age because that's debatable. When do I suggest as being that right age? Well, right around the time they're about to graduate elementary school. So if your child is almost out of grade eight, you know what? And they, they've earned it because they've been a great kid and they come home with, it doesn't have to be amazing marks because I don't believe in being, you know, a hundred percent student. I believe in being really a student that tries really hard and puts effort and contributes to society, reward them with it. But when you do give it to them, and remember when you give them that smartphone, it'll take them less than a day to figure it out. So they're never, ever going to be left behind. If you say, well, what happens if they fall behind? There's no such argument. Right. They'll grab it within a day and they'll run circles around you. So when you give them that device, remind them that you, mom and dad, own the device. You are the legal registered owner. You paid for the phone. You signed the contract to get in the selling network. And their actions on the device not only impact the child, but impact the owner of the phone. So you're going to say, I own this device. It's on loan to you. And you have responsibility not only to society in terms of your being a good person. You have responsibility to me, your loving and caring parents because I own that device and what you do not only can impact you impacting. So now you're going to give them that device with the acknowledgement that you own it. They have responsibility in terms of how it will be used. And if they violate those terms and rules, you will revoke the, the privilege of having a smartphone because a smartphone is a privilege. It is not a right. And so you can revoke it and you can take it away. But around end of grade eight, I'm not going to be against it. I find some tremendous benefits to it in terms of education, and they're more responsible. And you're going to give them conditions of responsibility. Let's be honest, a child in grade five doesn't have that responsibility factor when it comes to these $1,000 devices. Right. So that's around the age that I probably promote. Okay. And then, I mean, in terms of screen time, do you have any tips on, you know, for the parents who have taken that steps on how to manage the screen time that we're allowing our kids to have? I mean, it's, it seems like such an easy question and such an easy answer. Um, but let's hear it from you. It's actually complex. And I'll tell you why it's complex because every study on this topic has been inconclusive. Every study, there's no right amount. So I'll go by the Canadian pediatric society standards, which is somewhere between one to two hours of screen time per day if your child's upwards of 10 years of age. So what I subscribe to is the 30 minutes, maybe 60 minutes before bed, no device. So you're, they're off a screen. Now, because you're going to follow this amazing rule of no technology in the bedroom, you're going to give your child a full eight to nine hours of sleep because there's no screen over there. When they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is have a great nutritional breakfast, get ready for school. And when they have a little bit of time before school, they may potentially go on their screen. When they come back from school, you know, they're going to do their chores. They're going to do their homework because that's important. Get that out of the way. And then after they've helped you make dinner and, you know, clean up and you've had a wonderful dinner or breakfast or lunch, whatever it is without a screen, I always say, give them a screen. Let them talk to their friends. Let them play their favorite game. Let them play their favorite app. 
I'm not against it. If you tell me your child is on their screen six, seven, eight hours a day, you already know there's an issue. Mm-hmm. If your child is on their device after everything we've just spoken about and, you know, they were a kid, they were a real human being, I'm not, give them their screen. Let them connect. And you know, give them a, a boundary in terms of, all right, look, I'm not going to let you on for four hours, but you know what? You're 11 years of age. Here's your time allotment for it. So if it falls within the guidelines of, you know, an hour and a half, two and a half hours, I'm not going to fight that at all. But a screen is also a commuter monitor. It is also a uh, television screen. So this is what parents have to balance, right? Now, the question that is always challenged is, well, we don't know how much screen time they have at school. And I don't know what that answer is. Schools have to take all that into consideration as well. Like it's really, really important because if the kid's on a screen at school four hours a day, they come home, they're on for an additional two, well, we're exceeding that daily allotment. So this is a, parent, a, a question parents have to um, deal with. But if they go by these simple guidelines, um, it will make screen time much more manageable. But these fall in, into the rules of screen time. Okay, let's get into, we haven't really touched on social media, which we have to. Um, So let's get into social media um, and we'll start with, we're going to get into, you know, things that parents can actually apply with their kids. But first I want to talk about how you say sharenting. So posting too many pictures of our kids, you know, we've read, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. And so many of us do, myself included. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, you know, I... I'm a, I'm a, I've spoken on this topic a bunch of times on TV about just asking parents to just take a step back. I know we are incredibly proud of our children. We love sharing their accomplishments, and that's great. Before we post everything about our kids, I'm of the position of let's be selective. We don't have to post their life story. You know, from the date of birth to the first time they went potty to the first time they <laughs> ate by themselves. And it's amazing what parents post. Like, we need to we need to stop. That's called sharing thing. It's over, over posting of children's pictures. Be selective of the pictures. And when your child gets a little older, look at them and say, hey, do you like this picture? Yeah. Is it okay if mommy and daddy post this for, you know, grandma, grandpa, and our friends to see? Get their feedback. You might be interested in terms of what they had to say about that. And if they're saying, no, I don't like it, how about you respect their wishes? Because remember, what you think is cute and funny now, in 15, 20 years, when they're reminded of it, they may not see it that way. So you're not obviously gonna ask them at four, is that okay? Because they're not processing that very well. But later on, when they're eight, nine, 10, 11 years of age, I'd have conversations with them, say, what do you think about that? Is it okay? You know, my daughter's got to a point once with uh, my wife, because when she, we go on vacation, she loves picture taking. Like she, she, it's it's about her and these memories, and she likes to scrapbook and do all this stuff, and that's great. But even my daughters will say, "Mom, enough's enough. Like put down the camera and let's just you know live in the moment." Because it's one of my phrases, which is "Let's live in the moment." There's something to be said about just having a memory and reflecting back on that later on in life with friends or family in a conversation and having them to use their mind to actually envision it versus always saying, well, there it is, there it is, it happened, look at that. Yeah. Be selective, post, not frequently, infrequently, and have conversations um, with your kids. The other part of the, and this gets technical now, the other part of the the sharing thing on social media is, you know, let's say you take a picture of your child and it's in front of a hotel on a beach on an island. Before you take that picture and you go from your emotions to your fingertips, pause, take a screenshot of that photo, 
that will now allow you to take that screenshot version of the photo and modify it without ruining the original. So now you take that screenshot version, and the screenshot version does not have geotagging, time, day, location. That's security feature number one. And number two, you can reduce the size of that image. I always encourage parents to reduce the size of the original image so that when you post it on social media, it actually looks great on a screen. But if anybody wants to try and download it and duplicate it and blow it up, they can't because if you reduce the image, it'll become uh, pixelated. So a lot of social media sites say they remove the geotagging metadata. Look, do I believe them? Maybe, but considering all the privacy breaches of every social media platform on earth and how they make the news, I'm sorry, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. So I'd rather take it into my own hands, which is I'm going to reduce the resolution of the image, I'm going to remove the geotagging, and I'm going to share that image in a secure way. This takes effort, but if parents put that effort in, along with limiting the amount of pictures they post, I'm not against posting pictures of your kids. You just have to take some simple security steps. And also I, I like that. I never value. actually even thought of doing that. So take the picture, then screenshot that picture and post the screenshot of that picture. After you've reduced the resolution. Yeah, because now the two benefits is that the image is lower resolution, which means I'm not going to go on your page, steal it, download it, blow right. it up. Mm-hmm. And number two, there's no time, day, location, which is petrifying. If you Let's say you take a picture of your child every day at the park at 3 o'clock. Right. across school from where your child goes to. Listen, that's pretty simple to figure out. And every day at three o'clock, your child is at that park. We know that like, we have to stop that insanity. So we want to remove that information. Now, you keep the original image, and that original image, you store it on your computer, you go to a you know Costco, Walmart, wherever, and you can blow that picture up, and you can post it in your house, and uh, uh, poster size or scrapbook or whatever you want to do with it. But the reduced image is what you post. The original image you keep. Now, the other fun part about keeping the original image with geotagging is that let's say in 10 years from now you look at a bunch of pictures and you ask yourself where where, where was I exactly right, yeah there'll be a lot of applications that will show you exactly where in the earth that photo was taken so keep that but don't share that Interesting. share the other version I yeah. do try and um, be very mindful of when I'm posting so I don't actually post anything while I'm at the location so you know if we're out doing a you know an excursion or something I'll post that night when I'm home you know we are at wherever we we're at because I always have it in my head I don't want people to know where I am at that exact moment because <laughs> I don't know what I think is going to happen but I just try and always keep that in my head that's called common sense because I have a saying which I've been communicating forever which is tell the world where you've been what you've done not where you're going what you're doing in real time look yeah. we're not a reality TV show. Um, recently I, I told you I was off the grid for eight, nine days. And when I say off the grid, I mean, no social media. I, I just don't need the technology and I'm a tech guy. So a bunch of pictures were taken on vacation and my wife knows that pictures don't get posted until we come back. But my mother old school, she's a little different. And so on the vacation, we crossed over each other for literally 24 hours and we spent time together and she took a bunch of pictures she had to wait the whole time until we got back before she posted <laughs> those pictures. It took everything within her to not post that picture, but yeah. she, the rules, right? She doesn't, she doesn't apply them to herself because of her age and where she lives. And she keeps saying that, well, the frequency of something happening are so low. And I keep saying, mom, the, the, the rule is the rule. She doesn't apply it to herself. Every time she goes away, sometimes she is, she allows her emotions to take the, get the better of her. But when it comes to me, It takes every, because she knows it's my firm rule and she follows it.
As your child gets older, you may think that sleep issues are behind you, but our children, tweens, and teens can still struggle with sleep. More and more of our older kiddos are finding it harder and harder to fall asleep at night, and the sleep struggles vary. Is your child or teen suddenly unable to fall asleep at night, or perhaps they've been struggling with wakeful bedtimes for a while? Are fears and anxieties the reason why your child is struggling with falling asleep at night? Is your child or teen showing excessive daytime sleepiness and increased moodiness and irritability? Are you concerned that your child's lack of sleep is now affecting their social environment, school grades, employment, and extracurricular activities? Do you feel that your child or teen needs to improve their overall sleep habits and sleep hygiene, and you need professional guidance to help you both get there? I am happy to announce that Goodnight Sleep Site has now launched our first child, tween, and teen sleep program, focusing on the ages of eight years old to teens. This is a personal one-on-one consultation program where you and your child will be working with a Goodnight Sleep Site educator to help your child achieve the healthy sleep that they need. With our new child and teen sleep program, parents and children will be learning how to establish proper sleep skills and sleep hygiene to help your child sleep better and more restfully at night, how to help your child fall asleep on their own without fears and anxieties at bedtime, how to establish an age-appropriate bedtime routine with the right sleep environment to encourage the healthiest sleep possible, how to conduct a proper family sleep meeting, discussing the right sleep rules and expectations for both you and your child. And you'll receive oodles and oodles of printables and takeaways from relaxation techniques, sleep products at work, teachable information on drowsy driving, and bedtime activities that can combat fears and anxieties down to monsters in the closet. In other words, you and your child will become your own sleep expert, and both of you will be able to learn the amazing healthy sleep habits that he or she will have for a lifetime. Head over to this show's notes over at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast for more information on our newest child to teen sleep program and sign up today to help your entire family sleep better and feel more rested. You have made the right choice in making sleep a priority for your family. We at goodnightsleepsite.com are looking forward to helping your child become the healthy sleeper that you have been dreaming about. So I have a bunch of questions, some from myself, some that others have sent in. Um, You know, whenever I do my podcast, as I was explaining to you, I always open up a sleep clinic and I'll answer sleep questions, but these are obviously going to be geared towards, and this will allow us to get more into the social media stuff. Um, So one question that I have actually, and that I was going to ask you is what are some apps that you would recommend, or do you even recommend parents install, like finder apps, things like that? Is that something that you recommend doing? Are there certain ones that you approve of? So I never, ever promote apps. Uh, I will always give you, you, if you were my friend, what would I suggest to you? I'll take it from that perspective. So key logging apps are apps that actually capture every keystroke of everything that occurs on someone's platform. So if let's say you gave your child a device, you install the Keylogger app, you'll get a report at the end of the day, end of the week, and every keystroke from entering a username and password to a text message or thing will be captured. I do not promote those. Those were created years ago to basically spy on spouses that were being unfaithful and all that other stuff. And now it's being used for 
every aspect of life because we're just living in a creepy society. I'm more of the believer of, you know, the communication aspect. There are apps. Uh, one is called Custodio, I believe it's called, and the other one's called Circle with Disney, which allow you to control the amount of time that a child can connect to a router, to social media, block certain websites. Although, Again, I won't give my golden seal of approval. Will I suggest them to people? Sure, because I think parents are reaching out for solutions. So number one, I would say parenting. That's the golden rule, which is come up with rules, spend time with your kids, engage them in conversation, know what they're up to, take a vested interest. To assist you with that, these two platforms will also take it to the next level. So you have an app on your device which allows you to control every device in your home independently. So if you have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old and they're both on social media, well, you can restrict the amount of time that the 13-year-old is on versus the amount of time the 15-year-old is on. You can give them different time restrictions. Right. You can universally block certain websites that you know they're not going to be allowed to see. You can disconnect access to the router at a certain time every day and connect it back the next morning at a different time. So those two platforms, um, again, I think work brilliant home. Now, the one thing I've heard about Circle with Disney is that it does slow down internet access. So you may want to you, you may want to test them out with those two platforms. If you pay those companies X amount of dollars, I only know that I believe Circle charges ten dollars a month, but I have to get the latest amount. If you pay them ten dollars a month, the restrictions you put in place at home all will follow them outside the home. So if your child leaves the home with all these restrictions and then they go to their friend's Wi-Fi or to a cafe, or using their data plan, if you told them, look, you're only allowed 45 minutes of Snapchat every day, even when they're outside the home where you implemented the rules with the product, those rules follow them externally, which a lot of parents love. And I yeah. will give them that suggestion at the end of the presentation in the evening, but I look at them clearly and I say, this is not the solution. It is a nice to have. Remember, we came here because of parenting and understanding how stuff works and your requirement to get involved in your child's life. The other application um, that was suggested to me by a police officer, and I took it, and I will suggest to friends, if your child is of a certain age, and you know maybe they just started driving or they're doing a lot of traveling by themselves, it's called Life360, so L-I-F-E 360. And basically, it's you, the parent, and you have this application on your child's device, and so you can see where they are um, with accuracy in terms of GPS coordinates. So if they're driving, at a high rate of speed, you can get a notification. If they um, are texting while the car is in motion, you can get a notification. So interesting. It's, it's creepy for some. It's actually peace of mind for many. Mm -hmm. So it's free, but some some of the features you pay for extra on a monthly basis. The free version, which I've been using with my uh, eldest daughter, is enough for us. In fact, I've, I've had some some fun with her when she's come back from being out with friends. And I'll say, so how was your drive home? Great. And I said, oh, looks like you made a poor choice when you're driving up the street because you missed the exit and you kept on going until the next street and you came back and made a U-turn. And she'll give me that look like you're creeping me out. I'm like, no, I'm just making sure you're going to be home on time. And so I can see that she made the she, – I'll never forget, she came home from the mall once. And it's a very simple drive home. It's north on one street, hang left on another, hang right, and you're home. Well, the, going north, she missed the left. And because of the part of the city that we live in, the next available opportunity to make a left or a right was about a kilometer and a half north. So we, she just went so far north, had to make the U-turn, come south. Here's the funny part. Her friend was distracted in conversation. She missed the right-hand turn coming oh, south. No. <laughs> so we had some fun with that. And you know, But what's great is that you actually – so in case there is an accident – 
in case something is happening, these device, these applications can assist you greatly. So some people look at it as invasion of privacy. I call it parenting. I've given you a device. I care about you, and I want to make sure that you're good. So again, I'm not going to promote it. Do I use it? Yes. And if you want peace of mind as a parent, your child is just starting to drive, or maybe they take a really long bus route to school. That could be peace of mind for parents for you know the in case of an emergency situation. And that's Life 360. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll Bill, put a link to that, guys, in uh, this show's notes over at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast because I think um, I think that's a good one for I, – I know that's like I, – I, I feel like I'm a pretty even-keeled parent, but I got to admit, as I'm getting closer to that driving age, it's like, oh, I feel like that's going to be a tough one for me. Yeah, this will give you some peace of mind for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so on sticking with the apps talk – are there any secret apps? This was actually a, a email that was a question that was sent in to me from a friend of mine. Are there any secret apps that parents need to know about? Um, meaning like apps that maybe kids hide things from their parents on their phones that we should maybe be looking out for. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go through all of them. Maybe that's it's, a separate, a separate podcast. Yeah. It's the, you know, that's when I say that, that's, how extensive the list is. The what they're called, they're called Vault apps. V A U L T. These are apps that looks for, and I'll give you the mostly popular one um, in, in existence. It's called the Calculator app. So the Calculator app is an app. Its icon looks like a calculator. Mm-hmm. In fact, when you click on it, it works like a calculator. If you enter a special code in the Calculator app, you will be brought to a part of the phone where individuals have hidden. For example, kids have hidden pictures that they don't want their parents to see when they're scrolling through their um, their list of pictures, for example. And there are many apps. And so one of the projects I have for the end of August is two years ago, I created um, a PDF of the top five vault apps. And it's a little dated. So my August project is to update that list. And once I update it, I'll be posting it on my website. And I'll also send you a copy. Please do. To give yeah. you the top five vault apps because vault apps have become creative. So now some parents are update on these vault apps. I'm like, all right, I know that you're hiding stuff. Well, here's how creative some vault apps are. You need to enter a special code to get into the area of the app where they've hidden the stuff, right? So now kids have figured that out. So now some vault apps have what's called a decoy password. So your child gives you the password. Okay, mom, you got me. It's one, two, three, four. And they go to the area where you want them to go. But they if they enter the decoy password, which is, for example, 6678, it goes to the other area where they still get the hide stuff from parents. So parents Sneaky think- Sneaky little buggers, eh? Yep. Well, parents think, oh, I won. I got you. I know this. Oh, no. There could be another password that gets them into the- So they're telling you, you got me, mom. Great. You figured it out. You're tech savvy. Ha ha. So here's the passcode if you ever want to go in, but there's actually another hidden area. So I'll be updating that at the end of August and I'll make Perfect. sure- you- We'll have a copy of that. That's great. And by the time, guys, you're listening to this, um, because this will probably air in September, go over to the show's notes over at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast, and I will put a link to that PDF from Paul's website, um, because we're all going to want to check that out. So they are called Vault Apps. You said one of the main one is the Calculator app. Um, and that all that stuff is just absolutely terrifying. Okay. So <laughs> as a parent, <laughs> um, okay. So uh, another question that was sent in to me was how can you teach? And actually, I really like this question because it's, it's very true. So how can you teach your children appropriate boundaries with strangers when you can't monitor everything they post, comment, or message, particularly given the fact that in our own social media interactions, we comment and reply to strangers on a relatively daily basis? 
I like that question. Right. But the, the clear differentiator is we are adults who are in business who receive primarily um, inquiries. Yes, they are effectively complete. So if you do get an inquiry for your business, it is a stranger. But not just business, also personal. We're in groups. We're in, you know what I mean? Like we're constantly talking, not when I say we, I don't necessarily mean you and I, but individuals of our age on social media are constantly having open conversations with people they've never met. So how do we monitor that for our kids? From the adult perspective, um, I think we, we need to avoid a lot of that. So if you're talking about you're in a Facebook page and you're engaging with others, I get that. Um, I don't openly promote it. I mean, if you come to my Facebook page and you want to engage with others or comment on my post, that's you as an adult responding to another adult in a conversation of something we have in common. There's no great threat. If I see something inappropriate, I will moderate it. I will remove it. I will warn the person, whatever. When it comes to kids, they should never be subjected to that. So if our children are in a group chat, that group chat must be of individuals that is known to each and every person. It's not me inviting you and saying, oh, by the way, here's my contact that I've met once before. That's not a friend to you, and you want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Our children need to be able to say, you know what? I'm not comfortable in this group. There are people that I don't know. I will not get involved in a video conference. I will not text because, remember, anybody can take a screenshot. Anybody can voice record. Anybody can video record without the knowledge of the people that are subjected to the conversation in that chat. So I tell kids and parents, avoid any chat that incorporates individuals you don't know. It's not worth it, there's no benefit to it, and you're never ever gonna make an online friend, real friends or human beings. If you're talking a situation that involves, you're on Instagram, someone DMs you because they found your username, you have a choice to make. The choice is you do not accept the individual that is trying to message you because you don't know who they are. If you allowed some, let's say you're 14 years of age, you have Instagram, and someone sends you a message because they are a follow of yours, I'm not against that. You know each other, talk to each other, have your private chat on Instagram. But if you're on Instagram and you go through your messages and you see a request from an account and the account could look legit, you do not accept the request because you're opening you're opening yourself up to inappropriate content, mm-hmm. inappropriate pictures. And once you see them and you're subjected to them, you are scarred. There is no therapy that's going to remove what you saw, read, heard, and subjected to. So remove your child out of the ability to be engaged with quote unquote strangers, because if they don't accept the request, they're not engaging with them. If they're in a group chat where people are being invited, they don't know, you know what? They need to take that position of I'm out. This is no longer my friends. This has become something bigger than that. I'm out of this. I want no interest. So let's us friends go to another chat where we will continue the conversation ourselves, but it's not going to be with these individuals that have been invited from people that I don't know. They have to learn to remove themselves from the position of harm, but not put themselves in a position by accepting requests for com- from complete strangers. And I'm telling you, this happens all the time. Oh, I'm sure it does. Time. Yeah. And it has to stop. But this is a parent having a conversation with their child about, look, you don't talk to a complete stranger that walks up to you walking down the street who's twice your age. So why would you do it online? Because they appear to be someone your age because you don't know who that other individual is. So yes, and absolutely. So, you know, starting off obviously with conversation, as you said, communicating all of this to our kids, because like it seems very common sense for us, 
they are kids, we can't give them the benefit of the doubt that they also would have that common sense. So it's up to us to educate them on that. Is there other ways that we can monitor their online conversations and relationships? Or are there tips that you give parents once they take that step into the social media world that we can do? The, the simplest tip I provide parents all the time is make sure that the conversations are with real human contacts. Right. If you have your real human contact group of friends, I'm pretty sure they're going to respect you. I'm pretty sure the conversation is going to be nice. When you have five, six, seven hundred followers, you don't know all those individuals. And conversations can go into areas you don't want it to go to because you, again, at the end of the day, don't know who those individuals were. So if you start off on the foundation of I will lay you on this platform with your real human friends, you will not accept stranger requests because you think you know them, you kind of know them, you might know them. You've got a good foundation of a pretty healthy online presence with your real human friends. If you want to go the next step, which is what I don't promote, again, keyloggers, you can find out everything they're talking about. But I think now we're going down the path of spying because we don't trust them. Yeah. So we want to we want to have a healthy balance of I will give you this. Here are your restrictions. You will not bring them to your bedroom. Conversations with your friends. Yeah, have them on the couch while I'm around, while mom and dad, grandma, grandpa are home, whatever the case is. But we're not going to give you a device by yourself in your bedroom with 700 contacts because that's going down a very bad path. So these simple rules can benefit the child tremendously. So for those parents that have taken the steps, you know, their child has a smartphone, they're thinking of entering into that world where the child with the social media, we've talked about it just now a little bit about it, but what steps, first of all, what are the most, in terms of platforms for kids, I'm going to say Instagram is one of them correct me if I'm wrong, there's like a TikTok or something. I don't even know what that is, but I keep hearing it. What are some platforms that parents should be educating themselves on in, in this day and age for that age group? If you're looking at a 13-year-old, it will be Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat. Instagram, So okay. like Instagram has been around for a while, will continue to be owned by Facebook. Parents have migrated now who from Facebook to Instagram and own dual accounts. So most parents understand Instagram. Do they understand how it really works? No, but they understand enough. What they need to know on Instagram is that kids have what are called spam accounts, which is they have their account and then they have a boatload of other accounts that they log into. To Can do you other- talk about that actually? Because I do know I have an example in my personal life, not with my kids, but in a personal life where that's happened. So when you say that, what does that mean? So they have the account that they will post with their real friends and everything will look hunky-dory in that account. And they'll have a different account where they may want to post something that I'm not suggesting kids all want to do. All kids want to do this, but it could be provocative, risque, questionable. They want to say something in, in using language that they would not normally use because it's an account that doesn't link back to them. And what most kids don't understand is that a lot of spam accounts can, through technology, link back to the original creator of the account. They just don't know how it's done. So it's these accounts that parents don't know about. Now, to get into these accounts, they have to log out of their account and log into the spam account. Most kids are very lazy and don't want to do that. So if you go to any Instagram profile, you can just log in from one account into another because the password like toggle back and forth. Yeah. Right. So if you really want to find out if your child has other accounts, just grab their device, go into the account they're in, and then click on the down arrow. I believe it's in both iOS and Android where you'll see the names of other accounts, click on them, and you're automatically in those accounts. Because, like I said, it takes a lot of effort to go in from one account to another by entering username and passwords. And, you know, most kids don't want to do that. So, And I also per- tap for tagging, because that's how we found out. Um, tap for tagging, because they'll tag their spam account in their personal account. 
Exactly. So one of the tricks of the trade is you'll see the tags. And also, you'll if you go into your child's friends list on their account, you'll right. actually see their yes. spam account there because their friends want to follow their spam account. So there We're are a smart lot of too, kids. We have oh, our ways as well. <laughs> you need to be a sleuth. You need to be a detective and yeah. you can actually find all these out. But again, more conversation and less likelihood of them having these accounts. But if they have them, they need to understand that, hey, we're on to you. But no, there are consequences of having these type of accounts that will eventually link back to you. Uh, my concern with Instagram has always been the accessibility to anything inappropriate. So their accessibility to pornography, which hasn't been filtered out, sexuality, racism, violence, vulgarity, um, they're going to be subject to that. So depending on how old your child is, are you in a position, are you comfortable enough that they will be subjected to it and, and how will they respond to it and how will it impact them? So Instagram has picked up in their efforts in trying to get rid of as much pornography as possible. The reality is it's still out there. You see, Instagram has banned a lot of keywords in the English character set, but they have not caught up with the Russian, Arabic, or Icelandic character set. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these character sets, which are foreign to Instagram, can be used to bury pornography and anything else that, you know, they haven't caught up with. So they're doing a good job, but remember, it takes a lot of effort when millions of photos are uploaded every hour to keep up with all of it. And sometimes they'll be, they may be subjected to it seconds or a minute before it actually got removed off a platform because when they're scrolling, if the if the uh, hashtag was hijacked and rather than see, you know, a picture of a child dancing, they see a picture of something inappropriate, Instagram is always responding to that, not being proactive because it's impossible, even right. through artificial intelligence. So these are my concerns. I like the platform. I don't like 11-year-olds on the platform. Uh, TikTok is basically Instagram in a different capacity. It's a 15-second video of a child lip-syncing to a song. It's turned the world upside down in terms of everyone wants their 15 seconds of fame, and they will open up a TikTok account. It, what's interesting is that Three or four months ago, India banned the download of TikTok through iOS, um, through the Google Play Store and the the Apple Store because of the sexualization of their children to this platform. So it's not really on the pornography side. It's, you know, body image and what you should be looking like and how you should be acting. And they said that was enough for them to ban. And for India to ban an app, I thought, wow, yeah, um, that speaks volumes. And so... I'm not against that platform either uh, when the child's the right age with a private account. And going back to Instagram, private account as well. I don't promote these open accounts because all your social media accounts as a real human being with real human friends should be private. Um, I, I'm concerned more about, number one, what they're exposed to in terms of body image. And every predator and uh, pervert is out on all these platforms in disguising themselves as kids their age, looking for your child to be posed in a certain way, acting a certain way. Um, and they're out there just to capture all the images. They, they reside on there. That's common knowledge, except most kids don't know how to identify it, but they're out there. So when they're the right age and parents understand exactly how the platform works, again, not going to be against it. My kind of concern with TikTok is that, you know, they make it very difficult for you to delete an account. And the reality is it should be easy to delete any platform, even though the word delete's a myth in cyber. It should be easy, and TikTok's not making it easy for people to delete accounts. And the other platform, um, Snapchat, which again, not against with real human contacts. There are security concerns with Snapchat, number one. 
being that it's, there's a feature called a snap map, which gives away your real-time location to all of your contacts. And the accuracy is approximately 30 feet because I've tested it numerous times. So if there's a bunch of people at a person's house and they're being looked up on the snap map, you can actually know that there's a function happening at someone's location because the accuracy is that precise. So if you have Snapchat, make sure the snap map is disabled. The premise of Snapchat was, I'm going to send you a picture after three, five, seven, ten seconds, that image will remove itself off your device. Uh, we don't have time to get into it, but I bust that myth when I speak to grade sevens, eights, and high schoolers all the time saying, look, you've been lied to, and here's what really happens to an image, and you need to understand the truth. So kids believe images are gone. I bust that myth and show them exactly what can happen to that image with the right technological person on the back end who's looking at the image. I'll give you an example. I, I, I got together with a with a family last week, and I was actually showing the individual, the student, at the, uh, the conversation we were having. I said, does that look like Snapchat stories? And I was showing her my phone. She goes, yeah. I said, well, that's a recording of a Snapchat story, and none of them know that I'm recording the stories. Mm -hmm. So the look in her eyes was, yeah, I know you've been lied to, but you need to know the truth. So if they use it in proper context, which is I'm going to send you a picture, it's funny, it's conversation, I'm not against it. But when Snapchat was once called the number one sexing tool in the United States, there's the pause for concern. Why? Because kids even, as young as grade seven, know how it's misused. They know right. yeah. misused for nudity, for sexuality, and they need to know, I'm not going to be against it, but when you use it properly, because the second you misuse it and someone has that data, it's out there for the world to see and you can't stop it. So again, use the platform with your real human contacts, share appropriate, you know, stuff that you know mom that would be proud of, get rid of the snap map, I'm not going to be against the platform. Snapchat does have a feature called My Eyes Only, which allows the individual who owns the account to take photos and hide them. So if mom and dad went through Snapchat, if they can't find My Eyes Only, they're going to see what they see, but they're not going to see the hidden picture. So it's like a vault app within <laughs> Snapchat. Oh, and I educate parents on, by the way, there's a feature called My Eyes Only. In fact, this is really funny. When the grade sevens and eights are in front of me, we'll talk about my eyes only and how it's really not a secret. And then I will smile at them and say, by the way, I'm going to give you an eight-hour head start. Because by the time your parents come home tonight, they'll be educated on my eyes only. And you <laughs> should see the look on their faces. I as bet. It's like, are you really doing I said, hey, but this is how much I care about you. Go home, clean it up, make it legit. Because when mom and dad decide, hey, can I talk to you about this? I want no surprises. And so they go from... He's trying to hurt us. To he's trying to help us. To I think he cares. No, I do care about you. That's why I'm telling you it's about to happen because I don't want you to be blindsided with your parents coming home. Hey, give me Snapchat. And we're going through my eyes only because that will literally destroy some families. Yeah. So I tell them it's about to come. I believe in education, full disclosure, because if there's secrecy, it's a key to hurting them. So those are the platforms they want. There's concerns with all of them. But again, Privacy, real human contacts, appropriate use, I will never challenge them. I get it. I understand why kids want to use them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to best way to monitor that, obviously, is communication, conversation, keep things private. Parents look for these vault apps, look for, you know, the secret apps, things like that. Is there anything else that is, I mean, are you okay with parents having access to these accounts? Like, should we be checking these regularly? Like in terms of that, how, how well should we be? Well, I shouldn't say how well, because- you know, we can do it how often we want to do it, but we should have access to these accounts so that we can go in and check, correct? And our kids should be aware of this. Right. If your child is 17, I will tell you have challenges. Right. If your child is 13, it's a no-brainer. 
I have a hard time with parents who keep saying, well, what about my child's privacy? I'm like, give your head a shake. Like, honestly, this is a 13-year-old and a technological device that's connected globally. And, you know, the article I just posted yesterday on my Facebook page was of a teacher in Alberta who sexually abused a child from grade 7 to 9. And in the context of this article, which made my stomach turn, it stated 88,000 messages were exchanged between the child and the predator, the teacher. 88,000. If a parent remotely saw one message inappropriate, who knows how it would have turned differently mm-hmm. for the benefit of the child. So when we keep saying privacy and leave, no, it is your responsibility to be in there. Know who they're talking to. Know the language being sent back and forth. Understand what grooming looks like when, you know, and parents who've actually done this have connected with me. Paul, can we talk to you about the verb? Yeah, of course you can. And I will tell them, oh, this is an instant conversation or no, it's grooming 101. So yeah, you're allowed to go and you know go and tell your child it's my device, it's all known to you. Um, for you to have these applications, we're going to have some rules, which means spot checks on your device, and don't take offense to it. It's because I love you and I care about you. So these are really important conversations to have. Absolutely. But stop, stop being that parent of eleven year old saying, "Oh, what about their privacy?" Yeah, go no. down that path, and you will seek help. <laughs> I have no problems with no privacy for my children. <laughs> I really don't. Okay, let's end it with, because you've mentioned a few times, and it's it's a question I want to ask. When you're speaking to these grade sevens, grade eights, you know, the, that age group, or even we'll say grade five, grade six, what is information that you are giving to them that you notice, let's say maybe your top one or two, that you notice is a real eye opener for them? Because then that's information that then we can relay to that to our own kids in that age group. Like what what really kind of shocks them that maybe they didn't have any idea. So the way I do my grade 70 presentation, which is probably the the claim to fame because it's all fact-based. It comes from a cyber guy. Um, there's no spin. It's just delivering facts. How I structure the presentation is delivering a lot of how technology works. Um, and so once they get all the facts, one of my favorite slides is that the internet never forgets. And so they see it, I leave it up there for a while, and at the end of the presentation, I create a logo, the internet never forgets, which is a final reminder before they leave. And when I say the internet never forgets, I look at them, I say, and because the internet is not forgiving, it never forgets. It doesn't care that you're upset, that you're crying, that you're angry. It's always gonna remind you. We know what you did, and we can remind you when you're least expecting it. Mm-hmm. In five days, weeks, months, years from now, grad day, prom day, scholarship day, draft day, and when that image resurfaces, it is then and only then that you will feel the pain associated with what you posted. And so I you know, when when I finish off with that, it's powerful yeah. because the whole presentation has been fact-based. There's no spin, there's no exaggeration, there's no lying, there's no fear-mongering. It's all fact. And then they hear that and it really, really sinks in with them. Mm-hmm. So that is probably the most um, powerful piece. And you know, you asked me number two, I really don't have a number two because it would lead into so much, which is I give them so much information as factual that it goes and it debunks a lot of the myths of what they believe or how they believe technology works or they believe, you know, another saying I have is the word delete is a myth. It's never existed. It never will. And that is substantiated. So I guess there is a number two, which is the word delete is a myth. When they leave and they remember the internet forgets and the word deletes a myth, 
it's some of the things that kids who've seen me even at Wonderland will come up and say, hey, I remember, you know, hey, I changed my password or hey, I remember about the internet never forgetting. And that's pretty cool because it has it was basically summarized through a factually based presentation. And then it, it sinks into them like, all right, he's not threatening us. He's not uh, scaring us. He's just giving us fact. We didn't like it. We may not want to hear it. Yeah. Um, we have to change our ways, but he's right. And the kids who process it, mm-hmm. and most of them do, will say, yeah, okay, I get it. But there are some defined ones saying, um, I think he's lying. I think he's exaggerating. I have no reason to. Right. There's no spin to my message except to help you, child, understand. Use it wisely. I've got no issues with this. It's when you get all cavalier and you go from your emotions to your fingertips where it gets you in trouble. And that's what I want to prevent because I want you to use this, but you need to start thinking. Yeah. So the internet never forgets and deleting is a myth. I like the that. The word delete is a myth. The word delete is a myth. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, again, I feel like I can talk to you for another hour. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to cut it off now because out of respect for your time and for those listening, they're like, Alana, your, your episodes never go this long. But I'm sure that everyone has been listening intently because it's just such good information. So it just means we're going to have to have you on again at some point <laughs> to get to everything else. I would else. love to return for sure. Thank you so much. Tell us, Tell everyone how they can contact you for if anyone is listening um, that maybe wants to put a presentation for children or for themselves, where can everyone find you and how does that all work? Well, to connect with me for my presentations at schools or businesses, the website is socialnetworkingsafety.net. So socialnetworkingsafety.net. You can get my toll-free number from there. You can get my email. If you want to keep up with my tips, tricks, posts, it's best place is through my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Paul Davis tips. So P-A-U-L-D-A-V-I-S and then T-I-P-S, Paul Davis tips. If you're uh, a Twitterer, it's Paul Davis SNS, Paul Davis SNS, which stands for social networking safety. That's more business related, but my Facebook page, definitely more parenting related, more engagement from parents. So just before we, um, we got to doing this podcast, I created a brand new poster which I'll be giving out to parents. And it's a poster they're going to be able to hang up in their child's bedroom door, which is technology-free zone. And there'll be an image of a phone with an X through it. Ooh, I love it. Send me a copy of that. I will. Yeah. And the the hashtag is new parent order. So I took a spin on new world order, which is what I talk about. But new world order, when you hashtag it online, sometimes leads to some inappropriate contact, which means... You know, you always have to research your hashtag. And so yeah. I, was, I was posting it and I'm getting all this feedback from parents like, okay, how about you change this? How about you add that? That's the what I love about my Facebook page is that it allows for involvement. So go there, get my tips, but you can also give feedback. If you find a link, so I was away for eight days and parents were posting links on my page for other parents to see while I'm away, <laughs> not updating anything. So we're it's running a- it for you. Yeah, it's a community involvement page. I love it. It's so a great page, guys. Go follow it. That's how I found out about you. And that's where I started following you. And like I said, every post that you post, I'm like nodding my head and like locking it in my brain for later because it's great. Awesome. Yeah. So that's where they can reach me. And um, if they have questions, usually it takes me 24 to 48 hours. I'll get back to you through a DM, but uh, I will do that as well. I've I've received... I can't, I've lost count this summer in terms of the number of times I've been on the phone with parents um, just talking uh, last Friday, I got together with uh, two parents at a cafe. And we were just talking for an hour. Just, I'm I'm out there. I'm reachable. It's down my downtime. I will always be there if parents have questions. Thank you so much, guys. I will put all of Paul's links over in the show's notes at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast. So you can contact him there. And some of the things that he talked about today, I'll put those links as well. Thank you so much. This was amazing. 
My pleasure. Anytime. All right, guys. Until next time, I wish everyone sweet dreams and a good night. Thanks for listening, guys. And be sure to check back for more episodes helping your family bring back bedtime. And to make sure you don't miss out, you can subscribe to the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, basically wherever you get your podcasts. And download our free sleep resources at goodnightsleepsite.com slash podcast. And if you like what you hear, guys, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. That helps the This Girl Loves Sleep podcast reach even more families like yours who deserve better sleep. Sleep. 